word of the year uh, back in 2013. I'll give you a hint uh, up on the screen. Uh, yes, so the word of the year in 2013 was selfie. Uh, it was invented by an Australian back in 2004, uh, and it means to take a photo of yourself, right? Um, so in 2013, the word exploded in popularity. Uh, it increased in usage by 17,000% in one year. Uh, hence, it became the Oxford word of the year. We are obsessed with selfies. Um, but uh, that's not the only self kind of word that has gone through a change recently. So the word selfish, uh, while the word selfie has gone into a massive increase, Here's the word selfish over the last hundred years, uh, and it's actually gone into decline. Now, what this is, this is called Google Ngram. And what you can do is just type in a word or a phrase, and it will tell you how, how regularly that word comes up in all the literature you know, on Google Books and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so the word selfish, we've, we've talked less and less about that word. Why do you think that might be? Why do you think the word selfish has gone into decline? Well, Dave, seeing you standing and... Yeah? I think that people have become way more selfish and self-absorbed, so they don't therefore see it or recognise it or talk about it. They actually think that they are less selfish when the opposite is true. Okay, what, what do we reckon? Sound all right? So, so, we've actually, so selfish was always a negative word, but we've kind of embraced it. Uh, now and so we talk less about that word. Now, uh, here's another word we talk less about: self-denial uh, has gone into decline. Um, but what words do you think might have increased? What self words? Self-care. Self-care. Oh well, I didn't look that one up, but yeah, self-care. I'm sure that would have increased. Self. Let's have a look. Self. Oh, there it is. What's that? Self-esteem. So uh, there's been a dramatic rise in self-esteem, self-identity, um, and self-worth. Um, see, what's happening is we are becoming more and more focused on ourselves. Increasingly, when we want to um, gain a sense of personal esteem or worth or value, um, when, I, when I look to be reassured that everything's okay... Increasingly, we look to ourselves. Uh, and you know, we feel like we can't find our sense of worth or meaning or significance. We can't rely on other people around about us to build us up. So we've actually got to do it for ourselves. Um, but I don't think it's going very well. Uh, so there is this turning inwards, uh, but it seems to me that along with that has come a rise in anxiety, and depression, we're, we're not actually able to deliver the sort of feelings of self-worth and so on that we're looking for. And I think that's because we've gone entirely in the wrong direction. Uh, trying to find value and meaning and significance by looking within, I want to say, is, is a dead-end journey. Uh, it's a wrong quest, and there is a better way. And so that's why today and in coming weeks... Uh, we're focusing on Jesus. Uh, Jesus brings a better story, a better, a better understanding of identity, of worth. If you want to feel esteemed, then learn about Jesus and what he's done for you. If you want a sense of identity, 
look to Jesus uh, and who he makes us to be. Uh, He brings significance, meaning, joy, peace, hope, love in abundance. Uh, And the way we're doing this, so this series, Jesus Brings, we're just going to work our way through John's Gospel. That's one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And we'll just work through the first three chapters um, over the next uh, over the next month or so. Um, there are four biographies of Jesus' life. Mark's biography begins when Jesus is about 30 years old, uh, and Jesus begins his public ministry. Uh, and Mark begins with you know the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist uh, and the declaration the kingdom of God has drawn near. If you look at Matthew and Luke, two of the other ancient biographies, they begin with the birth story, you know, or uh, with Mary and Joseph and the little baby in the womb. Uh, And so they begin with the Christmas story. But John goes way, way back, way before that. John goes back to the creation of the world and before the creation of the world. And it's kind of like he's saying, if you want to understand the story of Jesus... You need to go way back to, the, to before the beginning of time. Um, so the Bible starts with three words. In the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. As Lois said, it's not hard to find. It's right there in the first pages of the Bible. In the beginning. And then what you have is this darkness, this lifeless void. But God speaks his word into the mix. God says, let there be light. And there is light. And then God says, God starts then filling the world with, uh, with life. Uh, and so there's life and light. Uh, now, John's gospel starts exactly the same way. Have a look at John's gospel. Hear the, hear the similarities. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So the biography of Jesus begins before the creation of the world. It mirrors the creation story almost completely, except when you get to verse 14, there is this dramatic revelation. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the person of Jesus, God came among us. See, look again at verse 1. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is like a mind-blowing revelation. Right from the start of John's Gospel, we are confronted with a new understanding of God. You know, we've always known that God is the God who speaks, Uh, And his speech is carried on his breath. But now we realize uh, there are two persons in the one God. Uh, The one God, the creator who spoke the world into being, this God is, this one God, one God is two persons. Verse 18 makes it even clearer. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Right? And these are just the opening verses of John's Gospel. But what, what's going on is, 
the one and only God who we've always known, there is one God, classic Old Testament teaching. But now we're being introduced to, to that this one God is known to us in the person of the Son, Jesus, as, he's, as he becomes man, but he's also known to us in the person of the Father. And it's not just two ways of looking at the same God. You know, as Jesus continues his ministry, he will pray to the Father. He will obey the Father. Uh, he, the Father loves the Son. Um, a few years ago, my um, mum made a discovery on the back of my wardrobe. Uh, so, you know, growing up, had this wardrobe. Every house we moved into, you just take the same wardrobe. But on the back of the wardrobe, it had this writing in black texter. Peter and Robin are a pig. Right? <laughs> Peter and Robin are a pig. Now, now, it happens that my brother and sister, they're both na- their names are Peter and Robin. Um, <laughs> and it was my wardrobe. So my mum reckons I probably wrote uh, the words. But then there was a later amendment, right? Peter and Robin are a pig, no just dad, right? (laughs) I don't don't know what dad had done, but clearly he was now the target of my frustrations. But I just want to take you to that that first phrase, the first mysterious phrase, Peter and Robin are a pig. Now that, isn't that... That's mysterious. How can two people become, be one pig, right? And you go, there's a mystery there, but I reckon it goes down to a grammatical error, don't you? I reckon it was just because I was sort of, didn't work it out. I, I think that was all that was going on. But not so here in John's Gospel. There is only one God that is the constant teaching of the whole Bible. One God, and yet you're forced to say Jesus is God, and you're forced to say, God the Father, he is God. Um, and he relates to his Father. He prays to his Father, two persons, one God. And in fact, John's Gospel, if we keep reading, it will blow our minds even further. Because we'll hear the words of Jesus, we'll be compelled to a further realisation that the Holy Spirit is, a, is also a person Uh, And part of the one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, 300 years after Jesus, um, they they hadn't been using the word Trinity up until, it was about 300 years after Jesus. And what happened was a guy named Arius came along. He was a prominent Christian leader, teacher, academic. And he started teaching that Jesus was not fully God, that Jesus was kind of semi-God. So he was sort of a halfway between us and God. He was a semi-divine being. Um, And this teaching was spreading, you know, it it became popular through the songs that Arius was writing. uh, And many people were singing these songs and, and getting the idea that Jesus was not fully God. And so a lot of church leaders got together for uh, a number of big church councils um, and they wrestled with the scriptures. Uh, they wrestled with John's gospel, they wrestled with the whole, of the, the whole of the Bible and they concluded that Jesus is not semi-God, he is fully God. So let me, let me show you one of the sort of things they came up with. They said, we worship one God, one God in Trinity 
and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Really profound words and ideas, but what they were saying is there are three distinct persons and yet one God. And you've got to hold both those things true at the same time. And they derived their teaching from verses like John chapter 1 uh, and the rest of John's gospel and the rest of the New Testament and so on. Uh, and what they realized from the Bible was that at the heart of the universe was not some distant God. At the heart of the universe is a relational being. Even before he created any human beings, God in himself is love. Right? God in himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in intimate, loving union. And out of his love, his love is so great that he wants to draw, he creates us to be drawn into loving fellowship with him. Um, now we're coming into Christmas carol season and I hope you enjoy Christmas carols. Uh, we have a great heritage, us Christians, with carols. Some of them are just so deep and thoughtful and, and insightful. So I want to just quote a couple of Christmas carols. Hark the herald angels sing. Look at this verse from it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Uh, what this is capturing is uh, that even though it wasn't obvious, there in the little baby Jesus, the Godhead appeared. God appeared amongst us. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That is, incarnate means God has become man, human. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Or have a look at this one. This is, O come all ye faithful. Uh, and this is even deeper, right? God of God, light of light. Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. And the idea there is, you know, in, in the Greek thinking about what the world, humanity is, and, and, and bodily form is just, ugh, it's icky, right? And so God would never associate with humans. But here it is, God is willing even to be, to be in the womb of Mary to be born as a baby. That's the kind of God he is. Very God, not semi-God, completely God. Begotten, not created. And begotten is, is the idea that he's, he's the son of God. He's in this family relationship with God. He's not a created being. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Now, look, we've got to embrace Christmas carols. Hey, so two weeks' time, you can come and just launch in, right? So those carols will be sung at Maya Music Bowl and in the Domain, but the words will just wash over people, and no one will think about much about the profound significance uh, of the things. These, these writers deeply thought about uh, the truths we believe. So make sure you come along in two weeks' time when we fill this hall uh, in songs of praise to the Lord Jesus, which brings me, obviously, to Israel Folau. Um <laughs> There he is. So <clears throat> now I want to say a couple of things about Israel, Israel Folau, that is. When it comes to religious freedom, I stand with Izzy, right? Hashtag I stand with Izzy. Um, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, 
ought to be protected and it is under threat in Australia. So it used to be in another era, we were able to disagree respectfully with one another. We were able to debate ideas, but now we just shut them down. And so when it comes to religious freedom, I stand with Izzy, but that doesn't mean I have to agree with everything he says. And so when it comes to theological, like teaching about God, I often disagree with Izzy. Um, I disagree with what Israel Folau says about the bushfires, but it's complicated. Right? Uh, he basically preached in a week or so ago that these bushfires that Australia has been experiencing are an immediate and direct consequence of the change in abortion law and the change in laws over same-sex marriage. Uh, I do believe that the bushfires and the drought are a wake-up call to Australia. Um, I do believe that when these things happen, we ought to take stock individually and as a nation and ask the question, is this a warning from God? Do we need to return to him in our hearts? Do we need to give him once more the place that he deserves in our lives? Absolutely, I believe when disasters happen, it is the best opportunity to take stock. But I disagree with equating one thing with another, right? To so say abortion and same-sex marriage means bushfires. Uh, because you could have just easily picked on greed. You know, the greed of Australia or the oppression of the poor or there's a whole range of things that if God wanted to, to come in judgment on us, there'd be a whole range of things. And so I just feel uncomfortable about making such a tight, direct correlation and I, don't, I, just, I think it's going to be misheard massively. But even more than that, I disagree with what Israel Folau teaches about the Trinity. And that is, he doesn't believe in the Trinity. Um, so he, he doesn't believe what I am convinced John chapter 1 teaches. Uh, that is, there is one God and three persons. One God and yet three persons within the Godhead. So even if I stand with Izzy on religious freedom, that doesn't mean... I, do, I agree with everything he says. Uh, we need to be discerning uh, and we need to think and we need to read our scriptures and so on. So back to John 1. What we see in these verses is two responses to Jesus. So, you know, with the birth of Jesus, God comes amongst us. And the overwhelming response is tragic. It is to reject him. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Uh, and this is, this is kind of the intro to John's gospel. We're not gonna be surprised as we keep reading to see the rejection, to see the cross. Uh, this is the tragedy of John's gospel. We live in a dark world a world where people are groping around in the dark looking for answers. A world where even now when we've got so much technology, you know, when we've got so much knowledge of the world, we still look within uh, and, and it's dark in there. 
and we're not going to find the answers that we're seeking. Um, but into this world of darkness, of rebellion against God, the light of God shines with the coming of Jesus. God comes into our world and it's like a light shines. Uh, how does the world respond? They reject him. John chapter 3 spells this out, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. They will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now that's what happens when I, you know, I've got a worm farm at home. And this is what happens, right? So you sort of open the lid and there are a whole lot of things in there, not just worms, right? So, but there's worms, there's slaters, there's cockroaches. And then I know they're not meant to be there, but somehow they're just in there. Anyway, but what happens is I open the lid, the light comes in and they all go scurrying and burying uh, because they hate the light. Uh, they kind of love the darkness. And, uh, and John's saying, we're like that. You know, here we are living in a dark world, a world of ignorance about God, a world where we've chosen our own path, we've chosen to map out our own destiny, and Jesus comes into our world. Now, he didn't come into our world to condemn the world, but when the light shines in the darkness, it leaves us feeling exposed and vulnerable. It, it leaves me feeling like the guilt and shame that I desperately try to hide from others around me, it's kind of, it's kind of now being exposed. Uh, and I might be seen for who I really am. And so rather than being willing to be in the light and to receive forgiveness and help and healing, the, the, the default instinctive response when the light shines in the darkness is to scurry off back into the darkness to reject the light and that's what happens the greatest tragedy in human history the light of God shines in our world and it and he is opposed firstly by the proud religious hypocrites you know who want to be seen to be so righteous and they they orchestrate him being rejected, arrested, mocked, spat on, ridiculed, and crucified in the most degrading, humiliating, public, uh, just terrible death imaginable. And John wants us to be clear that this is not just another act of cruel injustice. They happen every day in our world, but this is this is the most tragic thing of all. The God who made the world has come into the world and he is treated shamefully and he is degraded and spat on and mocked. We used to sing a song that captured this. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. Uh, bow down and worship. This is your God. The God who created the world is rejected. And even, even today, rejecting Jesus is kind of the easy default position. It's always been the case for the last 2,000 years. Uh, it doesn't take much effort or thought 
to reject Jesus or just ignore him, you just go with the crowd. Um, most people, even today, ignore or reject Jesus or mock him without ever really engaging with what he said or did or taught. But there is another response, and the other response is to receive him. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, receive Jesus. And that is you say, I, I, I trust in him. Uh, he is my God. He is my king. Receive him and you become, you become part of a better story. You become part of a new story, a new creation. Light has come into the darkness, life to the full. The God who is love, through Jesus, welcomes us into his family. We receive Jesus and he says, you are now part of, part of the family. And the love that the Father has for the Son is extended to each one of us. You know, we live in a selfie age. More and more people are looking within to find meaning, identity, reassurance, significance. And how is that going? I want to suggest that it is not going well. And someone needs to set aside to call it for what it is. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a journey into ever-increasing darkness. But Jesus came into our world to bring light and life, hope, joy, forgiveness. Now, during the week, I asked some of our members, like, what was life like uh, before you knew Jesus? Uh, and how has knowing Jesus changed things for you? Um, I, was, I was really encouraged, a bit overwhelmed by the response. And so I'll share some of them with you. But I want to say that there are hundreds of stories out there. So here's Janine. Uh, and Janine said, relying on myself resulted in ongoing stress, a sense of loneliness and unease. I knew I was never good enough to manage it all. Just trying to juggle everything, but just feeling like I just can't manage. With Jesus in my life, I'm not alone. I know despite the trials and tribulations in my life, Jesus wants what is best for me. I can always lean on him and trust in him. Well, this is what Lisa said. She said, I was in a very dark place, laden with guilt. Jesus brings me forgiveness. He has given me life and hope and strength. So isn't that beautiful? Here is a lady who could have easily run away from the light. You know, burdened with guilt, the light comes into the darkness and you go, oh, it's just going to make me feel more guilty. But she's actually found, no, she, Jesus brings forgiveness and life and hope and strength. Uh, this is Tim. Uh, it always felt like something was missing. Nothing filled the hole. Nothing truly satisfied. To see a bigger picture, now to know Jesus, he says, to see a bigger picture of life with purpose, meaning, hope, assurance. He didn't know what I was preaching on today, but it's almost like he's preached my sermon for me. Uh, to see this bigger picture of life with purpose, meaning, hope, assurance, value, worth, forgiveness, acceptance, and above all, unfailing love. 
I want to share that with the world. Um, Adri said, life was stressful and full of pressure to be the best, but never feeling confident. You know, she was something of a perfectionist and sort of, she did well, but always felt like, oh, I'm just not confident I'm being the person I could be. Jesus brings relief, such a weight off my shoulders. Pressure taken away means I now have confidence and joy. Kathy, uh, and you'll meet her in the office if you turn up during the week, or she's even here today. She said, I struggled a lot and it didn't work out at all. I was almost confident that I could achieve my goals if I worked harder, but God proved to me again and again that I'm not in control. I wasn't happy deep inside. And she even talks about plans for revenge uh, on those who had hurt her and her family. Uh, that was something of a quest. But she came to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus is in control and he loves me brings great comfort. I can cast my anxieties on him. I'm filled with real joy and peace. And here's Joel. Joel's a young guy, but he literally went on a pilgrimage to connect with God. He took it very seriously. He said, I was trying my best to become more spiritual. It got me nowhere. The more I dived into spirituality and mysticism, uh, and he went down the path of uh, Buddhism and so on, the more I dived into the path of spirituality, the more distant I felt from God. Jesus has made all the difference. I now have a personal relationship with God. His spirit dwells in me. I rely on him and I know he will never fail. And Joel's story is great because he headed off on this pilgrimage overseas, but it was back home. Uh, he came back home and he met Jesus. And he didn't have to go anywhere. Uh, uh, he met Jesus through the message of Jesus, you know, and a friend sharing it with him, and he read the Bible, and it made all the difference. Now, in our church family, there are hundreds of stories like that. Uh, you know, and you, why don't you, during morning tea, you could ask, you know, how, how is it knowing Jesus for you? What was it like before? Um, but there's so many stories of how much better life is with Jesus. But I reckon each of us has got to wrestle with two questions. Firstly, who is Jesus? And when I say that, I'm saying we've got to ask the question, what is the truth about Jesus? Because it's not just what's a better story, but is the better story true? Okay, so I don't want to just try to persuade you that there are great stories out here. There are and they are persuasive. But at the heart of it, you've got to say, but is, is it true? Is Jesus, God, come amongst us as a man to lay down his life for our sin? Is he the source of light and life? Uh, will I remain in the darkness until... I come to him uh, and find light and life in him. So I want to encourage you, if you want to find out about Jesus, keep coming week by week because that's our focus. You know? And especially over summer, every week, the spotlight will be on Jesus or his spotlight maybe will be on us as the light shines in the darkness. The second question is, how will I respond to Jesus? Will I resist, remain in the darkness? That's the easy thing to do. That's the default response of all humans. But there is a better response uh, to receive him. 
uh, as the light of God come into our world as my saviour and my king. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, uh, we, we know that this world is full of darkness. Uh, even in our own hearts, we feel and sometimes we're aware of a darkness. We're aware that we're part of it. Uh, the way we live self-centered lives, uh, the way we can be greedy, the way we can just ignore you, uh, the way we treat other people. Father, we want to thank you so much that you sent your son into our world. God become man. And thank you that with Jesus, the light shone in the darkness. Father, we are grieved when people reject you, when they reject your son, Jesus. We understand it, but we are grieved and we do pray that you will soften the hearts of many people in our region. Uh, so that they might be open to consider the claims of Jesus, so that they might be willing to step into the light. Father, we pray that you'll help each one of us to receive this good news of Jesus, to receive Jesus as our Lord, our Saviour, our God. Uh, and we pray that we will embrace that new identity of being your child, uh, of having a new purpose, a new hope, forgiveness and eternal life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.